welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk and specifically our Dealer Digest series. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. And with me, of course, is co-host of Dealer Digest, Joe Boras. And today, Joe is going to blow our minds, I'm sure, with some breaking hot dealer news. Now, we have, we have a, a few interesting stories, which I have to say were not on my radar. I didn't see them. Joe's got the dealer connections and the dealer insights. And uh, first to the table, we're going to talk about EV charging stations at dealers. I just, as a kind of PSA, public service announcement for everyone, for broad audience, let's keep in mind that there are a few ways you can charge an electric vehicle. You, you can actually plug into a normal electricity outlet, 120 volt. That's how I charge at home. It's super easy and super cheap, of course. It's super slow as well. It adds like a few miles an hour. So, you know, if you're plugging in overnight, that's plenty. That's all you need. About a third of EV drivers, I think, use that option. So that's very cheap. Then you have level two stations that add, can add, you know, seven, maybe seven times more than that per hour. They're often used, installed at homes, maybe businesses. They don't cost a lot. I mean, they cost, they're not cheap, but they're not super expensive either. Well, but if and, you already have a 220 or 240 dryer or appliances or hookup in your garage, it's not going to cost you anything because you already have it. Yeah. And with that option too, even if you have a dryer using the plug, you, you can use like a smart splitter from NeoCharge for just a few hundred dollars and not have to install anything. And then there's the option of fast chargers, really fast chargers, just the guys that pull a lot of power. These are indeed really expensive. They're not used for homes, except that I've, I've, I found out the vice ruler of Dubai has a Tesla supercharger at his house. Of course, this is what you do when you're a I vice mean, ruler of no. Dubai. <laughs> we I don't... mean, you know, you've got you to show up the actual ruler of Dubai every once in a while. Yeah, yeah exactly. Status. Yeah. But but this is sort of this this leads into the topic. So the the point is that f- super fast chargers, which you know can pull 150 to 350 kilowatts, they cost a lot of money, and they cost a lot to install, and they and it costs a lot to have a grid connection so that they can be used. So Joe, can you then lead us into the story that you found about what's going on with dealers and their newfound interest in EV, EVs and EV charging stations. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, when EVs are a niche product, the dealers were more than happy to let, you know, let the small fries and the small fish of the world at that time being Tesla kind of do their own thing. But now that EV, the EV market is growing by leaps and bounds, and even, you know, in Q4 of last year, it was up 11% over Q3. So, I mean, you're seeing this kind of explosion of interest, public interest, business interest, fleet interest in EVs. So now all of a sudden these franchise dealers, they want to be able to compete with EVs. And of course, if you want to sell EVs, if you want to service EVs, you have to charge them. And a lot of these guys, they're not really thinking outside the box here. They're thinking kind of conventionally of like, okay, well, I need a charger. I'm going to put a charger in my dealership. But these dealerships, a lot of cases were built 30, 40 years ago or 20 years ago, and they were not built from the ground up, from the grid up, I should say, 
to handle this kind of high power direct current. That's just not how the grid works. So to have all of that infrastructure built just for them to have a level three fast charger, it's costing them upwards of six figures, in some cases, $200,000, $250,000. And this is an expense they didn't expect to have. So this is something that they're looking at as an obstacle that now needs to overcome. They have come out over and over again through the NADA, through the press releases that they've done, through lobbying Congress saying, look, the best way to get EVs from the manufacturers and put them in the hands of the users, of the drivers, is through the franchise dealers. Well, they're making their bed. Now they got to lie in it. Time to pony up and pay some charging money. Yeah. So a couple of things. One, I noticed in the article you sent, which we'll include in the article, you know, there was a note that a lot of dealerships, the 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 power capacity there is not much different from a ho- your house or might be the same as a house or, or a small business. You know, that unless they have a big, you know, setup for, for higher power capacity, there's a lot of places that are not going to be much different. And yeah. so and adding that power capacity your- costs tens, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in some cases. Yeah. And, you know, the, the article specifically shouts out, you know, if you have a dealership that has a body shop, it probably does have that higher electrical capacity. But even large dealerships that have 2030 service bays, most of the mechanics tools are air powered. They're air driven. They're running off a large air compressor and a compressor tank. So as much as you might think, yeah, those service departments draw a ton of power. They really don't. The compressor might, but you fill up the compressor tanks two, three times a day whenever they get below a certain threshold, you don't really need it. The question I have looking at this is, you know, and again, we're different people, right? We don't, we're not car guys, conventional car guys necessarily. We have been in this EV space now for like 10 years. Yeah, you're pointing at me and I do the drag racing and the motorcycle thing. And that's true. But I've also you're, been- You're the most car guy, car guy possible. You're a total car guy. I'm not a car guy. But that said, I've been into EVs now for 10, 12 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been like, this is the way to go. A lot of car guys, you know, a lot of the Hemi guys are just now starting to think about it. But, you know, that's because the Mopar guys are slow. But that's a, that's a, that's for, yeah, that's, uh, we'll smart, that, Joe. You're smart. We'll you, save that you, for another podcast. You, you see the future and you grab it by the collar, right? <laughs> you see the future. Exactly. You belong in a Cadillac ad. You're like, you oh. take the future, buddy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, they're very no, fond the of those guys who just take, take the, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Take it by the uh, undercarriage. But, you know, these car dealers, they don't have a gas station on the premises, but they manage to have gas powered yeah. cars. So I don't understand why they can't, you know, go online and find an Electrify America station that's two, three miles away and go, you know, for that 20 minute fast charge from 10% to 80% and just cycle out. You know, you have two porters cycling out two cars a day. It doesn't take that long until all of a sudden you've got everything there. And then at night, you know, you plug them into the 110 and, and it keeps them trickle charged for the next day. You don't really need yeah. a fully charged EV until you're selling it and delivering it for the final sale. To have one on site that's ready to go, ready to test drive, a 220 outlet should be fine. Yeah, that was that's, that's part of the delivery process. That's exactly where I was going to go on my second point is, you know, the the idea that dealers need to be installing fast chargers, I think is a little outdated. I mean, like you said, we have Electrify America has a, a large growing network. You have other networks, EVgo, you have, and I mean, you, you said it really well, like they don't have a gas pump on, on site, you know, it's, and really there's only, they don't spend so much time working on the car or even giving test drives. 
it, if it you just line up some 220 volt plugs or even 120 volt plugs uh, you know as well you just charge when it's parked and it's and it's going to have plenty of electricity so i'm not really then i thought okay well if they're really doing a lot of work on cars and they need to be able to quickly bring them in and out then they might need one but i mean that seems like more of a of yeah that doesn't seem like a like a key requirement and as many people have said over the years nobody wants to go to a dealer to fast charge their car i mean some people do but most people nobody want to avoid wants the dealer to go to a dealer to fast charge a car yeah you know and i see this all the time i i was in phoenix uh i was in phoenix last year and i was in a porsche dealership porsche chandler which is a great guy is really really sharp group of guys there and they had a fast charger set up outside and they have a nice setup, you know, where you go in, they have a coffee bar, they've got refreshments. You just sit there while you're charging and you like take in the Porsche ambiance. But like, why would I want to do that? I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's, I, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a I big mean, there, there's going to be a few, there's going to be a few people who are like, oh yeah, let's, but for the most part, you're going to feel pressured. You're going to feel like you're not, you don't belong. You shouldn't be there using their charger because you're not looking at cars especially if it's not the brand you're driving you're like oh yeah let me just use this fast charging station at the porsche dealership with my <laughs> nissan or whatever and it's like yeah i'm just picking nissan because it's behind me but <laughs> but it's right, you know right. i mean it's always like so i don't see but on the other hand you know across the board one of the best enablers of faster ev adoption is is better rollout of ev charging stations so maybe there is a you know some subsidies for dealers ah, dealers don't need sub screw it i'm not even going to go down there. <laughs> i'm not going down here's that alley thing. no here's the thing like there is a little bit of karmic justice to this right because the impression has always been that the dealers are the best educated i mean i come from the dealership world and i've had this conversation many times where somebody will be like a really tough negotiator and i'll kind of be like what are you doing man like are you, you're like some kind of tough negotiator and he'll say oh yeah you know i've i've bought 10, 15 cars, you know, I, I know how to do this. And I'm like, dude, I did that last week. Like, trust me, I have more practice than you do. Like, I'm going to win this battle. Right. And like, I kind of feel like this is the other way. Like a lot of these dealers are old school thinkers and they're five or 10 years behind when it comes to knowledge of EVs. And now we have some subcontractor who's in there going, well, you know, you're going to need one of these. If you want to sell any EVs, it's going to be 250 grand. Well, maybe I can do you a deal. It'll be 225 if you sign right now. How about this uh, 2.9% finance charge? You know, and, and I just kind of feel like there's some kind of like karmic retribution here of like, you know, you as a car dealer have not stayed on top of the technology. You've pushed back against the technology time and time again. And uh, now you're kind of being taken advantage of and being told that you need to buy these things that you really probably don't need to buy. I mean, the only exception I can think of would be you know, almost like you're in the middle of West Texas and, you know, you're suddenly taking on a bunch of F-150 Lightning fleet sales and there really is not that Electrify America or EVgo infrastructure out there yet. And you might want to be the hub for that. But at the end of the day, how many of those vehicles are you really going to deliver at one time? If you're that rural of an area, are you going to deliver six, eight, 10 of those vehicles in one day. I, I just don't yeah. see it, man. I, I, I yeah. kind of think this is someone, this is the dealers being sold a bill of goods that they don't really need to buy. Yeah. And it keeps making me think about Neocharge, which we work, a company we worked with a lot because they provide this 
this smart splitter option to to plug into a 240 volt outlet and you know split the uh, provide two two outlets instead of one yeah and you said like, that earlier and, and i didn't get it but i think you're making a good point if they have if the dealership has like a delivery bay or a detail room while they're working on the car or while they're wiping it down they can plug in two cars into that one spot yeah and there is a there is a there is a problem like if you plug into a 120 volt outlet you know you see oh this is going to take 24 hours to charge this is not and even though you might know it's going to be parked a long time it's it seems ridiculous but the 240 volt outlets make a big difference and really if you if you get people realize what what it came to mind because whenever we've done work with them on this you know they they help us to see oh customers came to us because they were getting quoted this and this and this for wiring for a new service panel for installation the same stuff that was in the article about the dealers it's like oh yeah this stuff costs a lot you might cost not that much to get a charging station but when you add all this together and it's just so much easier if you have some some plugs to split the power and uh, have a smart smart charging option but yeah well, i think we've we nice worked things about that and, and and not to like just blatantly plug neocharge but they have a good product they have that communication back with the app. So if you're a fixed ops dealer and you're a service manager and you know that you've got four or five vehicles that you've got to cycle out, it's going to tell you right on your phone what state of charge all these different vehicles are at. So you can be able to triage that. You'll know whether you need to switch one out for the other. And even if you got you know, a level three charger plugged into your dealership, if you've just got a car that's in there plugged in that's already full, you're not going to be told that, right? Like there's another layer of this that somebody hasn't quite cracked yet. And somebody needs to come out with an, Zachary, we need to come out with an app (laughs) that's going to allow dealers to manage their EV charging on site. (laughs) Yeah, there's an app for that is 10 years out of date. But yeah, no, I... I, uh... I, I really like your point, you know, there's sort of a little bit, you know, they're just scratching the surface of what they need now. And there's a little bit of payback for taking so long. But I mean, some of them, some of them are ahead of the curve as well. But let's move on to the second story, which I've already forgotten what it is, because I got so engaged in the first story. Oh, well, uh, we're talking about, you know, these big, massive auto dealer chains like Lithia, like Rick Ricker, like Penske, that they are buying up the smaller dealerships and they're betting billions of dollars to say that the dealership model is not going away. Yeah. So there's all this hype. There's all this hype. Dealers are going to die. Dealers are going out. It's going to be online buying. Uh, look, Tesla, 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 Tesla. They were, you know, buy online, buy through the app, five minutes, no dealership. Uh, so at all, while that discussion is going on, which we've, we've written about, we, of course, it's prominent. While that discussion is going on, big dealers are out there buying up other dealerships. Dealerships are not closing. They're not buying them and shutting them down. They're buying them and expanding and consolidating. And they're betting big on the dealership models here to stay. So what do you have to say about it? I don't know that. It, so there is something that happens to the mentality of a human being when they get into a corporate mindset, right? Like if you're a typical standard human and you make X amount of dollars a year, you kind of live your life around X amount of dollars a year. But if you're a corporation, something switches and all of a sudden you need to show growth year over year, quarter over quarter, it's growth for the sake of growth. And if you're not growing, you're fired. You may have made two and a half billion dollars last year, but oh, you were down six and a half percent. Bye-bye, time to go. Your time here is done. So there 
what we're talking about, let's realize we are talking about major conglomerates with hundreds of stores or dozens of stores, hundreds of stores. In the case of Lithia, thousands of stores. They are buying up these individual mom and pop, single owner, family owned dealerships. And I wonder if because of their size, because of the fact that they are publicly owned and that they serve shareholders rather than some kind of any kind of healthy, sustainable business model, like someone who owns a local business has to think about their customers, for example, like I see Billy Bob at church every Friday, so I can't rip him off on Thursday. You know what I mean? I wonder if they are not just grabbing up these dealerships to keep fueling that capitalistic engine to keep fueling and juicing their share prices to show the board, look, we've grown 11%. We've added this much footprint. We've added this much revenue and customer base. But the people who are on the ground who see and talk to the customers are going, "Mm, this is going sideways. This might be the last car I ever sell, Mrs. Smith, because Mrs. Smith is in here signing papers talking about, oh, I don't know if I'd ever feel comfortable buying a car off of Amazon. Uh, I've heard that before. Um, I better get out of here while I still can. Yeah, I'm not sure if I have much. I'm I've, I'm just going back and forth in my head about what I think about the future because I do think you know a car is a, such a big purchase. You don't you don't typically buy a house without going and walking around it. You don't. Oh, sure. You, wanna... do. you live in Florida. How many of those houses are sold pre-construction yeah, before the I, first I, one is? I, 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 <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking as I was saying that about how many people <laughs> probably do, like, probably mm. do. But there's also a lot of people who are never going to buy a house or a car without touching and feeling and trying it. And so, and I don't think the dealer model is dead, but I think they need to offer a lot more uh, easy online purchasing. And I think online purchasing has gone a lot further by now than I realized it would by this time. And you know, we we joke about it. I'm a I'm an old millennial. I'm a millennial, but at the very top of the top sure, sure. of the, that that's you know categorization. And you're a Gen Xer on the bottom. We're very close in age, but yeah, but, uh, but the like, mindset is so different. <laughs> but we still fit the the, the bubbles. <sighs> and I don't want to talk to anybody. I I was so happy to buy the Tesla without having to talk to any. But I, then I went into the store and I talked. And of course, I've been in Teslas, and I'm not sure if I was buying a non-Tesla. I, I'm pretty positive I would, would want to go to, into a dealer anyway, but then I would want to make the purchase online. I wouldn't want to make the purchase in the dealership. With yeah, the... you'd want to be able to like go home and think about it. There are occasions, you know, and, and we always talk about being Tesla fanboys and Volvo fanboys, right? So like there is an occasion of like when I go to order my next one, because I do, I do the lease. So like every three years I get a new one. You know, when I go to do my next one, I really want to do the overseas delivery. So I want to sit down. I want to spec it out. I want to get the leather swatches and say like, yes, I want this leather with this wood and all this other nonsense. But it's just that. It's just ridiculous nonsense. Like, I don't need to do that. But I think there's a third way. And this is why I want to talk to you about these guys at Ferry Auto. This is the third story that I sent over to you. Now, these guys are fairly Sounds new. like a commercial and I missed this one. So. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is Joe's cousin. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no. Don't worry. They use NeoCharge in their in their garage. <laughs> but no, these are God. What's this guy's name? I like actually talked to this guy recently. I was doing an article about it, and the conversation I had with this guy was so clever. He's an art student, and he went to the Art Center College in Pasadena, which is 
that's the that's the big school for car designers right and if you want to design the next ford mustang or the next ferrari gto you're going to go to art center you're not going to go to mit or anything you're going to go to this art design school and they're going to teach you industrial design and one of the things that we got to talking about was the user interface and he got to this stage in the program of the user interface and he kind of it kind of spoke to him in a way that he didn't really expect. And he started talking about the ownership experience, right? And how it was to buy these things. And, you know, a three-year lease, does that really make sense when the new car is coming out one year from now, two years from now might be very different. You know, how do you know that an EV is really going to fit in your life if you're a slow adopter? And he's got this startup. He started it last October. So it's very, very new. I don't know if they're delivering cars yet, but what he's built is essentially that Tesla experience where you can talk to somebody about the different cars and about your options and what's going to meet your needs. And then through this uh, Ferry Auto, which essentially acts as a dealership, you can lease the car. You can lease the car or the e-bike or, or the Vespa scooter, and you can lease this thing for a flat kind of monthly payment and then just kind of have it for as long as you have it. And then at the end of it, you know, this, this, this all seemed kind of sketchy to me because I was like, why would you do this? You're going to get stuck with all these used cars. But he hasn't seen that. I think what he's betting on is that enough people are going to lease these things and go, oh, I'll give it a try for six months and then see what happens. And they're going to be so blown away by, by what I've experienced. And I think you've experienced most people who get into an EV really, really like it. And it's not necessarily about you know, saving the planet or being sustainable. It's just a better car. You know what I mean? It's like the Sonicare is better than the 99 cent toothbrush. It's just better. And yeah. I think that most people are picking up on this and they're buying the car and keeping it for mu either much longer, or they're saying, yeah, this is great. I kind of hedged my bets. I went with a Chevy bolt that seemed kind of affordable and dependable, but uh, you know, I've been in it now for six months. I never want to drive my gas car at all anymore. Let me get that, uh, you know, Mercedes EQE. I've been eyeballing. I I'm, I'm not afraid of the technology anymore, which is what about 99% of bolt drivers do say, or, or leaf drivers or anyone, you know, it's, it's just a better driving experience. Yeah. That's an interesting business model. We have to, I think, probably return to that maybe have him on the show even we haven't done an interview maybe that would be a good person to interview yeah uh, i think so and it, it's a really neat thing i don't know if you've checked out their website but they make it real easy to go from one to the other to be like oh yeah i've made i've i've made a mistake i need a smaller car a bigger car this and that and they've contracted now i think it's with tesla with volvo with polestar audi and and wow. vespa Interesting. So I mean, they had or not. I want to lease a Vespa for six months. That'd be cool. Yeah, it's I, you, you would, I would finally like you know jump on my like kind of you know interest in scooters that uh, I'm scared to think about. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, by the way, Joe used to be a huge scooter pusher. So oh, I'm I still am. Still I just got, oh, it's my my secret diabolical plan. I would ride my Vespa to the Harley dealership and get made fun of mercilessly. So my secret plan was to get everybody else to buy a Vespa that as soon as everybody showed up on a Vespa, I'd show up on a Harley and be like, what's wrong with you guys? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, we have a lot to cover in future episodes, but maybe we could um, come to scooter dealerships. I don't know. That would be an interesting topic, but uh, yeah. Ooh, we can I'd... definitely do that because those guys, you know, I had um, a good friend of mine, Philip McCaleb, he was the uh, national importer, the U.S. North American importer 
for a, a scooter company called LML, he would sell the the genuine Stella, which was a, a PX150 replica. And those car, those scooters were sold throughout the country and that he made a, a lot of business. And then when the, the first lifetime recession swung around about 10 years ago, 08, 09, you know, their sales didn't dip. Their sales went through the roof. And there was like a real moment there where he was kind of talking to me. And I remember we were in Palm Beach sitting outside this restaurant. And he said, I think I might be recession proof because when the economy is good, people are buying scooters as toys. And when the economy is bad, people are buying scooters as like a replacement for a car. Like that's I might, I might be okay here. That's a hundred percent. Seems a hundred percent logical. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. We have to, I think if not the next episode in future episodes, we will return to scooter dealerships and explore that topic. I don't know anything about it. So I'm curious to learn, but that wraps up dealer digest number four. Thank you. Mojo, Jojo Boris. And <laughs> Thanks for Thank having you. me, brother. Thank These are always listeners. my favorite ones. <laughs> and if you have any, uh, if you have any tips for us, you can email tips at cleantechnica.com. Thank you. Peace. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.